Welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbo. So, the Green Economy series officially ended last week. Today, I wanted us to talk about storms in Lake Victoria as a continuation of a discussion we had two weeks ago about climate change information. As temperatures warm and rainfall increase, how has this lake changed? And how is access to climate change information safeguarding fishing communities in this area? Lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa and is the primary source of the Nile. It borders Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda, and roughly economically supports about 30 million people living near its shores. But deadly intense thunderstorms build up on the lake at night as fishermen go fishing. The International Red Cross estimates that between 3,000 and 5,000 fishermen per year lose their lives in Lake Victoria's violent storms. I talked to Oremo Edward, the Homer Bay Beach Management Unit Manager. He told the Africa Climate Conversations podcast that as climate change over time, the storms are becoming more unpredictable, violent, and the water levels have been rising. For all the years that I've been in the lake, there are always stormy seasons, but the storms nowadays behave funny, not like they used to behave long time ago. Storms cause damages of fishing gears, uh, damages of fishing vessels, injuries, loss of life, reduced catch or no catch at all. Hence, will have very negative effect on the economic patterns of uh, the fishermen and, uh, and even the society at large. Storms were known to be in the months of February to May. Those were the heavy rain season, August to September. But you'll realize that even this year alone, there was changing pattern. We had very stormy season right from December to around May, with a lot of rains and, and very stormy weather in the lake. So with the current change of pattern, the stormy season are unpredictable. The intensity, particularly the last one that we saw in February, May, was quite intense. Last year, the few incidences that we had, had a lot of damages that have not been seen for time immemorial. In Homer Bay County alone, we approximated our loss to be around uh, 350 million in terms of what if I don't put the lives of the human being lives that were lost. Since about two years ago, Oremo and fellow fishers started receiving a text messages from Kenya Med Services after every 6 to 12 hours. The text messages they received to date tell them how the lake weather will look the following day. It also advises them on if to go fishing or not. Oremo explains how this weather information has helped protect the fisherman's life. We get information, so and there are alerts. We get a preempted information. This is what we expect the lake to look like, and these are the precautions that you need to take. And by taking these precautions, the storms were still there, but the incidence has reduced. Because, for instance, if there's a weather alert and they say that the lake would be stormy, they also give precautions. Uh, don't don't go into the lake. If you're going to the lake, carry enough fuel. If it is possible, uh, remove the boats from the anchor and pull them out. 
So we we use this alert to mitigate the effects of the storms to the fishing community. So with this information, we have managed to reduce the number of incidences that uh, were occurring. But last year, from December, even though the incidences in the lake reduced, we had a lot of incidences at the landing site and a lot of damages at the landing site with very few depth casualties in the lake and, and loss of buildings and nets in the lake. So nobody would have expected the, 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 the water levels to rise to an extent that it, it rose this time around. And you know it also rose with storms. Every six hours we receive weather forecasts and the alerts. They have also engaged local radio stations to be giving weather forecasts and the alerts. Most of them give like twice a day. Few of them give once a day. But the question is, why is Lake Victoria so susceptible to these storms? Wim Thierry, a climate scientist who is working at the University of Brussels and has extensively researched the East African climate and extreme thunderstorms of Lake Victoria, tells us why. If you look down from space to, to Lake Victoria with satellites, you actually see that Lake Victoria is one of the stormiest places on the planet. This is quite remarkable. And it's actually really over the lake that you have a very high concentration of, of thunderstorms. Mm -hmm. Now, um, there are some specific um, climatic conditions in the region that make this lake very susceptible to thunderstorms. And I should say all of the African Great Lakes, because you can see those lakes from space if you look only at thunderstorms patterns. Mm. Now, we all know in, in, in East Africa, um, those typical thunderstorms which occur in at towards the end of the afternoon, right? Mm -hmm. This was when the sun was shining hard throughout the day, warming up the surface, and this makes the air close to the surface very unstable, which means that this air will rise up into the into the atmosphere, and as this air rises up, it will cool down, it will form clouds, it will form uh, precipitation, rainfall, and, and thunderstorms. So this is the typical phenomena that, that we know very well uh, in, in equatorial East Africa. Now, if you look at the lakes, you can see that during daytime and in the afternoon, there are no storms on the lakes. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at the satellite images of the nighttime, you can see the opposite. There are no storms on the land, but there is a very high concentration of thunderstorms over the lake. So at night, all the storms form over the lake, whereas over the land, the storms form during daytime. Now, why, why, what is the physical mechanism which is behind this? Huh? The physical mechanism is, is coming from the difference, the contrast between water and land. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, during daytime, if you can imagine the, the energy from in, coming from the sun arriving at the surface of the lake, this water, the water of the, of the lake is going to absorb uh, this this energy, but it's going to act as a buffer. So if you look at it during daytime, your land is going to be warm, but your lake is going to be relatively cool. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So because it is cool, it will be very difficult for the air to rise up into the atmosphere and to cause thunderstorms. Now at night, the opposite happens. At night, the land will cool down while at the same time, the, that buffer of energy uh, is still there. And at night, uh, for the lake, 
the lake at night it will be warmer compared to the surroundings. So at night we have the opposite, whereby we have a warm lake surface and a cool land. Mm. Now what will happen then? Because of this temperature difference, there will be winds forming, breezes. Huh? Maybe some people have already heard of the, the, the word sea breeze, land breeze. Well, you have the same occurring over the over lake, around Lake Victoria, where we have a lake breeze and a land breeze. The lake breeze is in the afternoon. It transports air away from the lake into the land. And at night, it's the opposite. At night, you have a land breeze. So you have wind, which is blowing from the land towards the lake. And so because Lake Victoria is a circle, you have these winds coming together from all different directions. And when they counter each other over the lake, there is only one way, one direction that they can go, which is up into the atmosphere. All of these winds, they come together over the lake. They go up into the atmosphere. They are forced to rise up into the atmosphere, which is generating clouds, precipitation and, and thunderstorms. And, and in addition, there is one additional effect there. And this is that there is this constant um, evaporation of water from the lake. The, the lake is fueling the atmosphere with moisture. And this is then rain, which can fall out again under the form of, of rain uh, over the lake. So this is the very specific climate of, of Lake Victoria, which is causing these extreme thunderstorms uh, to form over the lake. But monitoring these storms is not all rosy for Kenya. In many cases, the tragedy comes after a sponsored program ends. Maintaining the project achievements become hard many times for the local counterparts due to limited funds to buy or maintain the needed infrastructure. Paul Olo, the Kisumu County Department of Meteorological Services, says that Kenya does not have the much-needed local system to monitor the lake, but it depends on the international and regional satellite system to monitor this lake and give fishermen like Oremo the much-needed weather information. But what are the challenges the State Department is going through and why the need for a local monitoring system to understand how this lake is changing daily effectively, information that is vital for future planning? Basically, we went around the beaches and the fishermen told us the information they wanted. Mm -hmm. That is the information on wind speed and direction, information on waves, information on uh, visibility, and also information on rainfall. When it is there, we are supposed to give them that information. If it is not there, we just talk about sunny conditions. They also wanted information on the lake currents and also the lake temperature, but given that we don't have observation systems there, we don't provide that information. Most of the time you may find that uh, over land it may rain late in the afternoon and toward early part of the night. Mm -hmm. While for the lake, what happens is that it may rain, uh, it tends to rain very late in the night. Mm -hmm. That is past midnight and also the early part of the morning. Sometimes you may find that it is raining in the lake and it is not raining in the land. So the fact that Kenya doesn't have a radar, because you're telling me Tanzania has a radar and Uganda has a radar, right? Yes. Why is it that Kenya doesn't have a radar on its side? You know one thing, you know they are... Uh, they are expensive equipments. They are not that cheap. What would you say is needed, is required uh, to effectively monitor? Because then climate is changing, Cindy. 
And, yes, climate is changing. And it's projected that the rainfall in, in the eastern part of Africa will go will keep on increasing. What is required to effectively monitor this particular lake? Like in sustainably in future? Basically what is required is basically to to improve the observation systems in the lake and also have uh, water level sensors around the lake because as you can as you are well aware during the past two or three months you find that even during the march april may rainy season that the levels were rising mm. the lake levels were rising and you are not in a position to give the figures the actual figures mm-hmm. or for how much the water had risen although on the other side of uganda they could be able to give us an, an indication of how far they have the water level was given on top of that, given that uh, some of the factors which mainly affect the weather system on, in the lake are generated mainly due to small-scale factors, mm-hmm. that is the interaction between the lake, the lake land and the surrounding topography. Mm. So basically with that, we still need a radar mm-hmm. somewhere either close to Kisumu or somewhere so that we can be able to monitor how the convective storms are generated and how they dispute mm-hmm. and how they affect the fishermen around the lake. How effective will it be? Like what exactly measurements what would it be able to give you? Observations, sorry, not measurements. It could be able to give you an indication of how the storms are, are propagating, mm-hmm. how they are generated and how they propagate so that even if you are anticipating storm winds, you can be able to clearly see how they form and the trajectory they take so that even if it is in about two or three hours or so, you can be able to, to warn the fishermen mm. that there is a danger. Mm. And, and Paul, let me ask you, like when, when you are observing the lake through satellite and, and you do not have local equipments there that are helping you to have real time, what is the difference between observing a wide range of system and a localized kind of system. If, like, for example, now having a radar there as compared to observing from a larger satellite. You know, a satellite, maybe a satellite which passes through Kenya, for it to repeat and come back to the same position, it may take about seven to eight days. Although I cannot say there is one, there are several satellites mm-hmm. which passes through the country. Mm-hmm. And you, you know the most of the time they capture the, the large scale the bigger scale atmospheric uh-huh. process uh-huh. they don't capture these small scale these micro scale processes sure. like processes which happens in an hour or two or three hmm. mm, like let's say water spouts which is a common occurrence in the lake it cannot be able to capture that uh-huh. because that is a system which can develop in 30 minutes up to one hour and in the next hour, it has gone. So a satellite cannot be able to capture that. Mm. And you know how destructive a water spout can be. Mm-hmm. So, and this radar would be able to monitor hour to hour basis, or what's the frequency of monitoring? It monitors after every five or ten minutes, not hour to hour. Okay. Because because using that, it is able to even track some of the small scale systems. Because we have, uh, you know, weather spaces have various time and space scales. There are mm-hmm. some which can grow in 30 minutes or so and they die out. Mm-hmm. 
Some can take an hour, some take hours, some take days, some take weeks. In 2019, a warming Indian Ocean sent too much moisture into mainland East Africa. It caused flooding and rising water levels on Lake Victoria and all other Rift Valley lakes. Earlier this year, Lake Victoria recorded the highest water level on record since records began as per the IGAD Climate Prediction and Application Center, IGPEC. Does it mean instances like the Indian Ocean Dipole and the storm in the lake will increase also? John Marsham, a meteorologist with the University of Leeds in the UK, who has extensively researched East and West Africa climate under the High Christo project implemented by the Future Climate for Africa, tells us how the storms have changed with the increased amount of rainfall in the region and how they are projected to change. I mean, overall, with climate change, we expect rainfall and storms to intensify, and that's it's well understood in terms of some quite basic physics. So as, as the air becomes warmer, it can hold more water, and that allows extreme rainfall to increase. In addition, it also provides more energy to the storms, and that can give more intense storms in our in our warmer climate. And our Earth has already warmed by about one degree, and we know that's already affecting extreme weather across the globe. Um, in terms of the unique setup of Lake Victoria, what we'd anticipate is that the land would warm slightly faster than the lake, um, and the same way that the land warms slightly faster than the ocean. And that will change this balance of circulations between the land and the lake. But we don't have, there's no observational evidence yet of how that's affected storms over the lake. I mean, it, it's, it's always a challenge to separate out um, the large natural variability that we have in climate, and that's very large in East Africa. Um, you know, there's, there's changes over decades, which are completely natural from the, the man-made forcing that's being caused by greenhouse gases. But overall, we would expect storms in East Africa to intensify. We've done research on that recently, showing that we expect a widespread intensification of storms and that that will affect Lake Victoria. But the exact change in that lake system dynamics does depend on how quickly the lake warms compared to the land. And that's quite a hard problem to model. Okay. Interesting. And in terms of, uh, because we, uh, the, the dipole that actually happened along uh, Indian Ocean, has it had any impact on uh, the, the water levels and also on the storms in Lake Victoria? So the Indian Ocean Dipole is this, is this gradient of temperature across the Indian Ocean um, from west to east. And it's, it's been known for some years now that that's a strong control on East African rainfall in what's normally called the short rains, so the October, November, December rains. So the the Indian Ocean Dipole was very strong at the end of 2019 and that led to exceptional rainfall across much of East Africa at the end of that year. Mm. Um, and that led to an increase in Lake Victoria lake, lake levels. Um, I mean, the water, you know, the controls on the lake level are again are really interesting. It's a unique system. Many lakes in the world, most of the water comes in through rivers and goes out through rivers. While Lake Victoria, it's a very big wide but relatively shallow lake and most of the water that comes in is actually from directly from rainfall from the storms not from the rivers mm -hmm. and the water that comes out although the outflow is really important um, in terms of the supply to the Nile and to the Sud wetlands and to hydropower actually most of the water that comes out of the lake is is just from evaporation 
the, the lake is really controlled by the weather. Um, but equally, the, the lake controls the weather. <laughs> it's the presence of the lake which generates the storms, but it's the storms that supply the water to the, the lake through rainfall. Um, so as a result, um, Lake Victoria has a high natural variability in lake levels. Um, there were very high levels back in the 1960s, um, and then those have declined over the years. And then in 2019, end of 2019, 2020, those lake levels increased abruptly again to what I believe is a record-breaking level in terms of the written records. So that was initially a result of the Indian Ocean Dipole, as you say, um, allowing a lot of moisture to come into East Africa mm-hmm. and trigger storms over the region. That rainfall then persisted through uh, January, February. Um, there's evidence that that's linked again to the warm Indian Ocean. The Indian Ocean, like all oceans, is warming, but it's warming faster than most oceans mm-hmm. on Earth. And then actually the heavy rain persisted over Lake Victoria and its basin through March, April, May um, 2020, which isn't so linked to the Indonesian dipole. That was um, linked to other variability in the atmosphere. But the combination of those three seasons gave these record-breaking lake levels. Um, unprecedented in the reckon record, to my best knowledge, um, which goes back over 100 years. Although, interestingly, I think there is some evidence that in the late 1800s, about 1880s, the lake may actually have been higher. Um, Although there's aspects of this that are consistent with climate change, so we expect, as Earth warms, we expect strong Indian Ocean dipoles to increase. So we expect more heavy rainy seasons like at the end of 2019. Um, And as I said, the Indian Ocean has warmed and that might one of the most robust projections is that we expect rainfall in January and February to increase. Okay. Um, we don't, you know, we do know that these high levels were, well, we believe they're also possible um, before climate change back in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. I mean, most climate projections show that this region will get wetter as climate changes, um, but that's not absolutely certain. There is a risk it could get drier and the lake level could fall again. All right. So it's, that speaks to the uncertainty if i'm getting yeah so in the long term over the coming decades as um you know we'll continue to emit greenhouse gases across the globe for some years to come um, i'm sure even if rapid action is taken as i hope it will be mm-hmm. um that continued warming well most projections so that will lead to this region getting wetter but equally it is possible that the region will get drier there is good evidence though that these extreme rainfall seasons, such as the one that we saw in, in the short rains of 2019, will increase in frequency. Mm-hmm. The, that, those strong Indian Ocean dipole events, which give unusually wet short rains, are likely to become more frequent. Okay. So these sudden jumps upwards of lake level are likely to become more frequent. Okay. Um, but if overall the climate got drier, that would be expected to result in the lake level going down overall. Mm-hmm. And so that means also in that case, the storms will intensify in that case, because if we have the ocean dipole becoming more frequent, then because now that means sending more moisture in mainland, that means it also affects, triggers the storms, right? And the water level... Yeah, so that, that, it, yeah that Indian Ocean dipole is kind of controlling the big picture across the whole sort of continent, well, regional scale. Um, but as you say, that 
that can control the supply of moisture to the storm. So in a year with a strong Indian Ocean dog pole like the end of 2019 was, um, that gives more rain across the region, but also well, likely gives more frequent and more intense storms over the lake. The High Christo Project is a project working with decision makers in East Africa to develop a new understanding of climate change, its impact on water, and how to manage water for a more resilient future. What infrastructure is required if these countries are to be able to monitor these storms, understanding how they've happened in the past, how they're happening now, and the future projection to be able to make sure that their people can be able to still, we minimize the deaths and, and a sustainable kind of livelihood as temperatures change and as climate change. What is the infrastructure that is so key that is required to be installed in these lakes for us to be able to monitor these storms? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, and in Kenya Met Service and ICPAC, who are based in Kenya, are yep. some of the leading groups um, on this in East Africa and in the world. And there's a lot of good research being done there. But as you say, they have they have limited funds. Yeah. In terms of you know warning the fishermen, there's much more that could be done in terms of as said delivering these warnings. But that does require investment of staff time. Um, you know you need to have someone there watching the radar, watching the satellite imagery, sending out warnings that, so that they need the income to do that. And maybe that's about um, demonstrating the value of this in terms of lives saved to get that funding from government. Um, or maybe there's a sort of more private sector solution. Um, they could work with the private sector perhaps to provide this. Um, there's examples of that from agriculture and elsewhere. And as you say, that there are more observations needed. I mean, we don't even have many, many weather stations around the lake that are reporting um, in real time. Um, there's been some efforts under the, the highway project led by the World Meteorological Organization, which again, I'm not involved in, but has been deploying weather stations around the lake and was involved in setting up this radar and reinvigorating the weather balloon service, which is run from Entebbe in Uganda. Um, there were some efforts to put observations on a hospital ship that um, moves between the islands and the lakes in Uganda and put weather boys out. And then the radars themselves, are, I mean, they're really fantastic for looking at the storms, but they're very expensive. And critically, they, they can also be very expensive to maintain and run, and they need a lot of expertise. And there's very many examples around Africa where um, money from overseas has set up radars, but then relatively quickly they've become non-functional due to a lack of money for repairs or servicing or expertise to run them. And I think with all these things, this is what's absolutely critical is to have the expertise to keep these things running and the funding to do so. Um, I think the only country that has a, a long history of running radars in Africa is, is in South Africa, um, where there's just more money available. And similarly on climate change, I mean, a lot of these questions need really big computer simulations to run. And maybe that's, you know, the Met Office has one of the world's largest computers that's dedicated to these problems. So within High Crystal, we've actually been working with IPAC and rather than then running their own simulations, we have been using the UK simulations um, to study climate change over 
um, the region. So again, we can work together, we can invest, you know, the UK can do things which it has unique capabilities for, such as these big computer runs, but then we can share that data with everyone um, to make sure that we get the best out of them. Theory. For sustainability purposes, what, what are the solutions in terms of understanding this particular link and having long-term uh, measures that probably the government can put in place to uh, safeguard this particular fisherman? Yes. So there's two things that are important to consider. First thing is what will happen in the long term with these thunderstorms? How will climate change affect these thunderstorms? Now, we performed scientific research on that, again, with climate models. And when we run the climate model for a future climate, um, for future climate conditions, we actually found that there is a very strong intensification of these thunderstorms. Our computer simulations suggest that a storm which today occurs only once every 15 years, so very extreme thunderstorm, very rare thunderstorm, such an event will occur almost every year by the end of the century if we would continue to emit massive amounts of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Okay. So if you ask me what, what, what can be done, a first thing that, that is very clear from this from these results is that we need to transition to a climate neutral economy and society as quickly as possible. And this should be global scale. So at the global scale, we should really put efforts in staying within the boundaries of the Paris Agreement. Because if we can do that, we can really avoid future climate change, which would lead to a very strong intensification of those extreme thunderstorms. That's, yeah. I think, a first point. A second point is, okay, what can we do to reduce the risk of people in the region now on the short term? Yeah. If, if we want to know what can we do to, to help those fishing communities which are at risk from these thunderstorms, what we can do is try to forecast these storms. So try to answer the question, will the coming night be a night with a lot of thunderstorms or not? Will it be dangerous? Is it better to stay home this night and to go tomorrow out on the lake to fish? So this is an important question. So we need good weather forecasts, weather forecasts for the region. And, and there's many ways in which you can do that. You can run a weather forecasting model, such as, uh, um, for instance, the Kenyan Meteorological Agency is, is operating one uh, for the region. So you can have weather forecasts which tell you what is the risk of having um, a, a severe thunderstorm happening over the lake. There are also weather prediction systems that, that operate on a global scale and that include Lake Victoria. So there is, there is computer models that can do. Another avenue to, to forecast those storms is to look at satellite data and to apply artificial intelligence techniques to those satellite data. And we are, we are working on that uh, in our team in Brussels trying to develop machine learning techniques to forecast extreme thunderstorms using satellite data as input. And also there, we might be able to, to tell some something about the risk of, of such a thunderstorm to occur. And we now, we already have a, a prototype of such a warning system, a storm warning system, which tells us whether or not it will be a, an, over the entire lake a dangerous, a dangerous night or not. However, we are now working with these machine learning techniques to refine this and to give local scale information about whether or not 
uh, a particular sub-region of the lake is particularly at risk uh, for that night. So we are hoping to make progress on that as well in the next uh, months and years. So it's not something probably happening this year in the next two years? So we already have a prototype of that warning system. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a software which we developed, uh, which performs a statistical uh, regression on, on satellite data. And uh, this software is a, is a public software. It is openly available. It's open open source. It's on, it's on GitHub. It's code which is on, on GitHub, GitHub and everyone can download it and can, can work with it. Um, what this current software is doing is it's telling whether or not the, the lake as a whole is at risk, or the, it also has a version, an option to tell whether the Kenyan sector, um, the Tanzanian sector, or the Ugandan sector is, is, is at risk. Okay. Now, what we are now trying to do is to make it more localized, and we hope to, to have progress on that, uh, let's say, by the end of next year. So when I was speaking to Kenya Met about it, was they were telling me that they do not have the ability to be able to monitor localized, so they actually have to use satellite to monitor this particular uh, lake, but they do not have a localized kind of forecasting system or monitoring system for them to be able to actually understand on an hourly basis or what's happening to that particular lake. To what extent does that hamper in terms of communicating or being able to update communities, these fishermen, on weather and climate information that is likely to save someone's life? If you if you think about the, the the amount of the data which is available to to monitor those storms um, on on Lake Victoria, I think there's two main sources of data. First of all, you can think about the classic in uh, weather station, the in situ measurements. Mm. So you go on the field on the ground and you measure with a weather station. Now, of course, it's not trivial to measure over uh, the weather over such a lake. Now. Fortunately, we are operating a weather station on, on Lake Victoria. To my knowledge, it's the only weather station which is uh, operational over the lake. It, we, it's operational since uh, almost uh, two years now, um, I would even three years. It will soon be, it will soon be three years uh, operational. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's located on one of the islands, but it is only one point. So we measure, we measure precipitation in all variables. And, and we can also make that, that data available for, for local uh, communities. So that's one thing where you can make progress. Now, the other source of data is the satellite data. And we have satellites which give us every 15 minutes an image of the conditions over Lake Victoria. We have those satellites. Also, that, that data is freely available on the internet. So I think we, there is, there is source of, sources of data available there. What is really the challenge is um, the, the technical capacities to process that data and to interpret that data, of course. Uh, you need to uh, download it, process it, interpret it, you have to have the knowledge to interpret it and so on. And it's only the observations, so that's for the monitoring. But then you need to be able to translate that into um, forecasts for the what will happen in the next four hours. And there is really the challenge. Then you need to run either a computer model, which requires a supercomputer, or you need to develop these artificial intelligence techniques, which will allow you to get that forecasting information from the satellite. Mm. So that is what is making it probably difficult for the uh, counterparts within Kenya to manage to interpret that particular data, right? Yes, yes. So the challenges are, are huge uh, to operate such data and to develop a warning system, because you also once you have it developed, you also need to find ways to come to do the communication. 
um, and there will always be uncertainties related to the assessments. However, I think with the satellite data, we now have, a, have a, a very important new source of data to develop such storm warning. So I do think there is great potential to make important progress in, in, this, in this field. And the, the, the advent of uh, machine learning but also and, and open source software can all be used uh, towards developing storm warning systems and, and thereby reduce the vulnerability of uh, fishermen in, in the region. And that is where we end our podcast today. It's essential for the African government to invest in research to understand how climate change affects their water bodies and their ecosystem to plan sustainably and effectively. So next week, we start inviting the close of the year mode as we are a click away to Christmas. I can't believe how fast this year has actually gone. Wow. But I do not know how your Christmas goes down, but mine comes with a lot of food, drinks, families, and music. And in the mixture of this comes a lot of food waste. So we'll be looking into food waste and climate change and what you can do this Christmas to minimize this pollution. Remember, this podcast and many others are available on our website, africaclimateconversations.com, and every other podcast channel you access your podcasts from. You can also reach me through info at africaclimateconversations.com or comment on the website, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. But until next week, Kwaheri, do have yourself a productive and safe week ahead.